Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of My Bloody Horror Cast. Episode 11. Episode this is, 11. This is Steph. And I'm Carrie. Can you believe what we made through 11 episodes? Yes. <laughs> With all the crazy things that life has thrown in our way, here we are at episode number 11. We're now into double digits. Not like we hit them, we're now, we're now into it, you know? Yeah. So, I'm pretty psyched about that. And we're talking about our favorite Christmas movies today. Our favorite Christmas horror movies. Although, they're probably my favorite Christmas movies, too. I mean, they definitely crossed that line for me of favorite Christmas movies. You know, it's too bad there weren't enough Thanksgiving ones. We really didn't have enough for a Thanksgiving episode. But, you know, we'll have to think about that for next year. Mm-hmm. We'll have to decide if we want to do that. But no, Christmas uh, horror, Christmas movies in general. I mean, you and I have a lot of the same... Um, influences and likes as far as Christmas films go. You know, we don't go for necessarily your standard, you know, White Christmas, um, It's Wonderful Life. We're more kind of into Die Hard and um, a couple of the movies that we're going to mention today. I was actually listening to a drag queen commentary to Home for the Holidays last ah. night, and she was saying how the best Christmas movies are set during Christmas, but they don't really talk about Christmas that much. <laughs> and... That is kind of what all of my favorite Christmas horror movies have in common. Sure. I mean, they take the... Ho- well, you know, they kind of play the holiday up a little bit. It's, it's all about giving mm-hmm. and family and fun, but they they basically subvert that and um, in whatever way they can. And yeah. And do it creatively. So for this happy family ho- holiday, you know, having a good old-fashioned horror movie with much old-fashioned gruesome killings is always a, yeah, that's a good thing. So we're going to talk about two that we both really love, and then like a couple more that we each really like. Um, Mm -hmm. But first, what have you been watching? Well, there's a lot of stuff recently, but um, I have to say two things uh, I've watched recently, both from Netflix, who's been kind of knocking out of the park with their original programming recently, particularly when it comes to horror films. The two in particular that I watched recently, I think you've seen them as well, Babysitter being one of them, Mm -hmm. MCG back. Uh, <laughs> McG. McG. So, yep. Uh, MCG, McG, 80s nostalgia, Samara Weaving is B, the babysitter, Jude Lewis is Cole, um, the kid that she's been babysitting for years. The two of them make a really great combo in this film. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it hits all the obvious 80s, 80s nostalgia film notes. There's nothing necessarily surprising about any of it, but it's a lot of fun. I liked it a, a lot, lot more than I expected to like mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. it could easily be like a cheap throwaway and there are definitely some moments where I almost eye-rolled but yeah like you said it's just so much fun and I thought Cole was like a really good character. He's good. This <laughs> so kid's was really good. the babysitter. Good. The babysitter's great. No, um, their their relationship, the, the little montage of them dancing in the kitchen and doing other geeky kind of silly stuff uh, the Star Trek I know um, they're movie watching uh, movie watching and all. there are some awesome. really uh, sweet uh, scenes with them also as Hannah Mae Lee who gets to finally do something more than just be a background yes. vocalist and pitch perfect <laughs> so there you go um, yeah no Babysitter's a blast and uh, you know it's on Netflix it's super easy to watch you know might as well might as well check it out you can't really go wrong um, another one that I really liked is Gerald's Game I also love Gerald's Game I think it is the best Stephen King adaptation of 2017. Is This is the year of great Stephen King adaptations now. That being said, I have not watched it, and I have not watched 1922. I will be watching 1922 by the time our next episode rolls around. But uh, 
this is the year of again people who seem to understand that Stephen King's movies are um, all about internal psychological terror, and if you can manifest that on the screen in the right mm-hmm. way, then you're you're gonna you could hit it out of the park. Totally agree. Um, Gerald's Game does just that. Gerald's Game is one of okay. I love Stephen King, but I've only read maybe five of his novels. Really? Yeah. I mean. So, Gerald's Game is bizarrely one of them. Probably the most (laughs) recent of his books that I've read. And I didn't know how it could be adapted because the novel actually takes place pretty much inside her mind. Yep. So, I thought what this director did was really, really clever. And it's the same guy who did, like, Oculus and Hush, two movies that I also thought were really, really impressive. He's really good. Uh, Yeah, he's, I mean, he's kind of... Is it... Mike Flanagan? It's Mike Flanagan. Okay. He's really bolstering his horror resume in a short time here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hush came out, what, last year? It was one of my top picks last year. And uh, Gerald's Game, looking like it's going to be a top pick for 2017. I'm just saying. Yeah, Carrie took a little issue with the ending, right? Because of the narration yeah, and everything. It's the issue I have with nearly... I, and I'm a, I'm a huge, diehard, longtime Stephen King fan. Books, books especially, films, hit or miss. One thing that Stephen King is compelled to do in every book is have a really long appendix to the film basically (laughs) there's a really 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 like there's always got to be this exposition that just drags at the end of the film and um, in a book that's one thing but in film it doesn't always show up in the same way and so I didn't think that I liked that part of Gerald's game other than that that's that's one um, you know issue the rest of it I thought was great the narration's clunky, but I actually really liked the ending of Gerald's game too. I loved <laughs> I loved when she like faces that creepy like gravedigger serial killer in the courtroom yep. <laughs> and he yep. like holds up his fake handcuffed hands. Okay, I did watch 1922. I highly recommend it and all I want to say there is it's Thomas Jane in a Telltale Heart. <laughs> um I think you're going to enjoy it. I can't wait. Um did you watch anything else? I watched one of their Christmas horror film. And that is Better Watch Out. It's directed by Chris Peckover. He only has one other thing to his resume, a movie called Undocumented from about six, seven years ago. Mm. Uh, but it's both of the kids from The Visit. So it's uh, it's uh, Ed Oxenbold and Olivia DeYoung, and both of them back together again in Better Watch Out. So the basic premise being that uh, it's another babysitter movie. I don't know why this is the fad recently. So Olivia DeYoung and Levi Miller, that's the actor who plays the kid who she's been the long-term babysitter for. This is her last week as uh, his babysitter. She's leaving town, and all of a sudden, they have to deal with a home invasion on one given night. Except, this home invasion is not what you think it might be. So I'm not going to give it away in case you haven't seen it. Um, I haven't seen it, and I will. Nah, but I won't give everything away, but needless to say, the movie has some twists and turns that you don't really see coming. They're also, they, they also coined the term, you got home alone in the movie, <laughs> so, um, so uh, their character gets home alone, so we'll just kind of go with that. Um, it's, uh, it's got some good things. It didn't blow me away. I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was a fun little, little you know, nasty little Christmas horror movie, so I'd, I'd say I'd recommend it. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I've got a couple more beyond that. So 1922, I also think, is a better Stephen King adaptation than It. I thought it was really good. Thomas Jane, I knew it was him, but I think if I hadn't, it would have taken me a minute to realize it was him. He's so committed to this rural farmer role. It's very, very impressive. And 
and it is like a it's a pretty creepy story i thought it was good i'm not familiar with the novella so Mm-mm. but another one we both watched was happy death day since we last had our podcast oh have we not talked about happy death day i don't think so because the last time we talked was Friday the 13th when it came out and we hadn't seen it yet. Ah, okay, okay. So, yeah. I mean, one of the more entertaining horror watches of the year, I would say. I think it's a million times better than you would expect or it has a right to be with that premise. A hundred thousand percent, I agree. I, you know, it's it's still very teeny bopperish, but I, I have to say, I was, I was kind of wrapped up in it. I let it take me for a ride and I went along in the ride and, and it's fun. It's really, really fun. It's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. I I really like the development of the character. When it says it's Groundhog's Day... It is as meta as you can get as far as Groundhog Day. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, the dude she's into is like into horror movies. She goes through this like character development that's like really cool. I don't know. I liked the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... Um, I, I totally want to watch it again. I do. And... You know, one of the things you always love is where everything falls apart. Like in the original Groundhog Day, he just starts <laughs> yeah. driving his truck off the cliff. You know, he's kind of at the at the edge of like his sanity mm-hmm. of the days going over again. Happy Death Day has some really good moments as you get into the meat of the film, mm-hmm. as she is uh, just kind of reaching the again the end of her rope um, <laughs> psychologically with everything. It's great. Oh, yep. and then the last thing I watched was Curtains. It's a 1983 movie. Have you seen that? Curtains, yeah, a movie plagued, plagued with problems. It, it, it wasn't completed for like seven years from oh. the time it was actually first, first filmed until it was actually distributed. Director was fired multiple times. This is a massive, massive mess. I don't know anything about the background. Isn't that crazy? But yeah. I loved it. Um, my friend Christy described it as a Canadian giallo, and it totally is. <laughs> there is this, okay, well, the, any scene involving a doll in that movie is perfect but there's one scene in particular where there's a girl just figure skating by herself on a pond she comes across what you think might be a tiny dead corpse hand but it's the doll buried in the snow and there's a kill chase sequence that follows or just a chase sequence there's no kill minor spoiler that i just i really thought was great i had so much fun watching curtains i didn't i don't know if i love curtains but that i think that that um the ice, the ice skating scene is great. That's a great chase scene. But best, best set piece scene in the movie for me. But yeah, good old curtains. Curtains. Yeah, yeah I finally saw it. Um, and that's it for my recently watched. Cool. Well, I think we should. Uh, you know, tis the season, so we should uh, dive into the the Christmas. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, which one do you want to start with? Well, I would say. Let's start with, um, so we're going to do two, correct, that we're doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's start, let's start with Gremlins. Sure. Okay. You want me, you want me to introduce <laughs> yeah. a quick introduction? So, I mean, Gremlins is, it's 1984, it's Steven Spielberg, it's Joe Dante. Spielberg was a, you know, a, a major creative partner, but he kind of told Joe Dante, he was like, this is your movie. Because, you know, Dante wanted to be a little, you know, have some kind of edginess to it, more so than your average Spielberg flick. I think it's, I'm, I'm really glad that Spielberg sort of stood back and let mm-hmm. him do that, because it's, there's some great black humor in Gremlins. But it's great. It's, uh, you know, as, fa- as far as being a Christmas horror film, it's got all the things you want in it. There's a chainsaw scene where Gremlins 
has There's a chainsaw. A struggle with a chainsaw. Yep, little uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, influence right there. In fact, the filmmakers even said that was influenced by the, the film. Hmm. Um, you've got Gremlins and Blenders, Gremlins and Movie Theaters, Gremlins and Microwaves, Gremlins and Microwaves. I mean, it's it's great and. It actually, Gremlins um, is pretty influential too because it forced the MPAA to reconsider their um, ratings classifications because they were like, this isn't really a PG movie, but it's not quite an R either. And there was no PG-13 at that time. So Gremlins rated PG, but it's a hard PG. You would never see a PG film like that today. (laughs) There's no way you would get away with that. So it's kind of funny. That's a good point, um, and I I really like that though it is a family movie and somewhat of a fantasy movie, and it definitely has a Spielberg feel. It is soundly a horror film. Yeah, like yeah. the things like Stripe and like the evil Gremlins. That shit is scary. They are yeah. demons. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are demons. They they are here to destroy you. No, it's great. It 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 has all the all the things you love about a good eighties horror fantasy film uh, you've got the cute mogwai you've got the mm-hmm. evil gremlins you've got the incredibly likable zach galligan as the main character and phoebe cates they're sort of your lily white uh you know sort of uh virginal couple in the film you know oh i love phoebe cates she's great and then what what uh, that makes it all the better when she breaks out that really disturbing her christmas messed up story christmas story <laughs> later on in the film you're like what the hell is going on it's great <laughs> When someone tells you they hate Christmas, you never in a million years suspect it's because their father died impersonating Santa Claus in a chimney. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, all of a sudden you think to yourself, man, she's got a dark side. Watch out, Galligan. Yeah. Know, know. That's great. I think that's another thing about 80s movies. They had so many kind of unexpected, like odd, dark moments. That now we take for granted because that's so much part of the lexicon of film mm-hmm. now. It's all it's all just assumed there's going to be something like that. But that was pretty edgy at that time. Yeah. There were a lot of things like that. So, yeah, you know, dad takes home Mogwai for his kids. Because things going to be the ultimate um, uh, birthday or, excuse me, Christmas gift. Doesn't listen to the rules. I know. And he, he's kind of, like, shysty. Like, the owner's like, Mogwai not for sale. And he's just like, you know... I'm going to buy this Mogwai, everything in this store is for sale. Kind of this right. whole idea, like you think you know best. Obviously you don't, white dad. No. But his kid sold him out. His he kid did. was like, meet me in the back parking lot. I was like, whoa, kid, what's up? He's like, we need the money. I was like, well, you should have gotten him for a little bit more. You got for <laughs> 200 bucks. Try to you know, go for 250 or three, man. Come on. No, it's great. I mean, it's influenced movies. Uh, a lot. I mean, I think of Krampus that came out, Michael Doherty's Krampus from mm-hmm. two years ago. Obviously, massive influence on that film. The scene where all the elves are in the kitchen messing around the evil elves and all that. Evil gingerbread men. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, definitely like a straight up Gremlins influence. So uh, the thing about the movies, the Ghoulies, uh, Critters, all those franchises were direct ripoffs. And not they weren't even trying to hide it. They were like, we are influenced by Gremlins. Here's a movie. Do you know that made-for-TV movie, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? It was remade with, like, Katie Holmes, but I haven't seen that one. I've only seen the TV one, and I want to say oh. that came out before Gremlins. It was an ABC movie of the week, and that involves tiny little demons in the house. Mm. But anyway, if we ever do a made-for-TV horror thing, I'd love to re- rewatch it. Well, I'd like to watch that, too, because I've never seen Bad Ronald, and everyone says <gasps> it's great. 
I love Bad Ronald. TV, uh, <laughs> TV movie. Well, then we could also go into Trilogy of Terror, although that would cross over with our, you know. Okay, Carrie, I'm not going to bring it up again, but Carrie hates the Black Christmas remake. I think Black Xmas is fine, and it's because I think it's like batshit crazy Bad Ronald. I um, here's my take on it. I I would love to see Bad Ronald. I think I, I want to check it out, but no, I think Black Xmas is the worst kind of cover or um, remake, where it is literally remade just for dollars. There's they try to put this ridiculous like I don't know backstory. They have done it on as a Black Christmas remake. Like, oh, it just made me cringe. Even though Black like, Xmas, the title makes me laugh too. I wish does. they'd called it something else, <laughs> but I think it's a separate movie, and I enjoy it in that way. So yeah, Gremlins. You know, it's hard to find someone who doesn't like that film. You know, it's kind of rare that you find just a film that's universally loved or universally panned. You can't really find anyone who doesn't like Gremlins. It's classic and awesome. I think the only mistake you could make is watching it a little too young and having nightmares. Oh, yeah. No, I watched it when I was a young kid, and it freaked me out, but in, like, the best kind of way, I was like, ooh, I want to see it again. (laughs) Me too. Okay, so Gremlins... One of the all-time horror classics. I mean, you, you really can't uh, argue with that. And then, of course, the other one is Black Christmas. The original Black Christmas, the original Black 1974. Christmas. Carrie and I agree it's one of the best. It's one of my favorite horror movies, Christmas or otherwise. Bar none, yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, take the season out of it. It's just, uh, it's you know, it's considered the, the first modern slasher. I think there are a lot of critics that will look back and say that Psycho would be considered the first modern slasher or the first slasher I would consider Psycho a modern film I don't know if we can anymore mm. I mean, 1960 isn't, isn't anywhere close to modern by this point but I think there was a time where it was considered the first modern slasher now it may be the Godfather slasher films but if you're looking at the first true modern slasher film I, th- I think Black Christmas is a pretty good call it follows all the tropes that every slasher film after it would follow as well. Yeah, I think when you think of like 80s horror movies, if you go back to like 1974 Black Christmas, you can see that that setup is done again and again. Yep, Halloween. After it. You know, even Halloween, you know, drew some influence from, from Black Christmas as well. Sure. It's also the first seasonal slasher. Is that true? Mm-hmm. I guess I can't think of any others. But... No, nope, there had never been a seasonal slasher before that. Well, Bob Clark was meant to set movies around Christmas because he also did a Christmas story. You did. You did. Two of my favorites. I know. Good old Bob Clark. Um, Yeah, so, you know, the basic premise. And, and, you know, okay. Now, what I would be curious about is let's take a kid who's 18 or 19. All right. Is this film going to be as scary to them? I don't know because... I didn't see Black Christmas until I was an adult. I was living in Seattle. I recently graduated college, so I was still in my early 20s. Okay. And I saw Black Christmas, and I thought it was really scary. I think Billy's voice is, like, so creepy and disturbing. It's really creepy. It's very, very creepy. Now, the reason I was saying that is, you know, to, uh, let, let's say if we got a really young millennial, you know, or something mm. like that, would they still, would they even be able to ha- understand or deal with the concept of no cell phones and the fact that you're getting this prank calling going on in the film. Um, so I wondered about that. However, I think that it can make it even creepier to think about what if you didn't have a cell phone and you just had to rely on you know, a rotary dial phone, especially in this day and age. Well, it's also not like a fast cut, like loud squish effects like sort of movie. So maybe mm-hmm. it wouldn't. 
I wonder, but but no. So basic premise being that you've got this uh, sorority house um, during Christmas vacation. Uh, you've got Olivia Hussey, who is Juliet in Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, and the, the mom in Psycho Four, and the mom in Psycho Four, which we watched <laughs> recently at the Flickr screening, our little downtown bar uh, and movie house. So she's in the penultimate version of Romeo and Juliet. You got Margot Kidder, who would later be Lois Lane. And then you've but got in this angry drunk sorority sister. Angry drunk sorority sister who gets a child drunk. She gets great. a child drunk at a party. Okay, <laughs> she she don't give a damn. Yeah, Margot Kidder don't give a damn. She just is good. She's gonna do what she wants, people. And, and a young Andrea Martin, mm-hmm. who yep. appears as the sorority mother in Black Xmas. Oh, God. <laughs> sorry, I'm really not going to bring it up anymore. So sorry, Andrea, that you had to add that to your resume. I wish we could take it away for you. Okay, so so you've got prank calls coming to Livia Hussey. Coincidentally, or non-coincidentally, she is dealing with um, going through the decision to have an abortion with the child of her boyfriend, mm-hmm. Kier Delea. From 2001. Yeah. You, got, you got some serious acting chops in this film. So, all that's going on. And all of a sudden, people start disappearing. And it turns out that there's also, potentially, a killer on the loose outside of their house. You know, yeah, somewhere. a in, young in, girl's in, body is discovered Young girl's body has been time. found. So, all these little plot points are happening at the same time. It, it, it really... Um, The film does very well with kind of um, diverting you each time something happens to these different plot points and kind of keeping you in suspense of what's really happening. Full spoilers on this, right? Like we're assuming people have. I think we probably should. I mean, we could go two ways, but I mean, all right. The people have had forty-three years to see this movie, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, So yeah, I mean, one of the big things is at this point of technology. In 1974, if you wanted to trace a call, it was like a major event. Mm-hmm. You had to have some water bottles on standby. You had to make make a call into your family if you didn't make it. You know, if I don't make it back, just you know, tell tell the kids I love them. Like you have, you know, you have to have I guess counseling sessions because you're just running back and forth in this huge room, running to some kind of whatever whatever checkpoint or whatever they call it exchange. It's crazy. I had never actually call. seen that setup. Of someone like running up and down aisles of phone lines. No, it's like how how frustrating must that have been? Like, <laughs> how's the best technology in the world? We don't know how to do it. Um, well, one of my things in the film was I would argue that Kira Delia is the boyfriend Peter is more villainous than Billy, the actual serial killer. He's placed as a red herring. Um, where he's suspected as the killer, and it turns out he is not. Right. At the very end, you discover it wasn't him. No. But I think he's so controlling, and he's so stuck in like a patriarchal worldview. One thing that's cool about Black Christmas, even better than Halloween, I think, is that the girls in this film all have ambition, they're intelligent, they have things they want to do. And she has this conversation with her boyfriend, um, Olivia Hussey's character, where she's just like, I have dreams that I want to pursue and that hasn't changed. I'm not going to have a child and I don't want to get married to you. And he flips the fuck out. He's like not supportive and he's not willing to compromise about it. And he says, let's talk about it. But he does not really want to talk about it. 
No. Well, also the the other thing that I think is like the final straw for her. He's you know he's kind of grasping at straws is when he talks about giving up his um, you know his career yeah as, or his dream of as being a, a concert pianist. And her whole thing is, that's the reason I fell in love with you. Is almost basically what she's saying in this conversation with yeah. your you know your drive, your passion for that. Why would you give that up? Mm-hmm. That could, that's sort of that last act of desperation that falls obviously flat. No, I mean murdering five people. Is worse than Kier Delay. I would, I would, I would, I would wager. I would wager. But there's no excuse for his behavior, in my opinion. Billy is mentally unwell. (laughs) No, Kier Delay is just a big fucking asshole. (laughs) He really is. And when he's like breaking into the window in the basement, I'm just like, this fucking asshole. No, he has no limits, and he thinks he can just go wherever, and he's like. No, you're not welcome. She actually didn't want to talk to you. The scene where he says, you're not going to get rid of the baby. Well, that's not your choice, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, in 74, I feel like, you know, things were were a little different, I guess. But no. Anyway, I I had like no sympathy for him. (laughs) No, he's a terror. And he's a great, that's the great thing about the movie, though. There are, you know, these subplots um, have a lot of weight to them. They have some really good emotional weight, and that's what mm-hmm. I think makes Black Christmas rise above, rise above your standard slasher, your later slasher. It's not a supernatural killer. <laughs> um, it's a weird killer, but but the characters, you know, are 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 real. Mm-hmm. You know, they're no, and Billy's deaths are creative and terrifying. They are, and almost bloodless. You don't actually see things happen. You don't actually see That's true. any of the deaths. But you do see the blood artistically when he kills um, Margot Kidder's Barb. He's stabbing her with a unicorn. He's stabbing statue. her with a unicorn. But again, what's brilliant about this film, you never see the stab. You see things happening around. It's the brilliance yeah. of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You never actually see the implement pierce skin. It's this... It's this you don't really see... impressive editing that they do in that scene, which I have to say is one of the great scenes in any slasher film ever, is the Margot Kidder death scene because her it's, gasping noises, especially after her asthma it's stuff. All the sound, oh. it's all about the sound because you don't see anything actually happen. You just you see a spatter of blood, you see the thing rising, you hear her breath. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. That's the mark of great cinema, great horror cinema. If you can do that and not actually show us one actual impalement. That's true. It's crazy. So it's got one of the great final uh, chase scenes as well. I, I think the scene where she goes up to the door, sees the sees his eye in the doorway uh. is so iconic that just that moment as she runs down the stairs. I remember the, so the first time I saw Black Christmas, I caught it on like some random cable channel maybe in high school and I saw the last probably five to seven minutes of the film right when right after Kidder dies and Hussey's walking up to that second level of the house and she sees the room with her and um, her and Barb is she Barb? is Margaret Kidder Barb? is that right? yeah Margaret Kidder's Barb it's her and, and is, Phyllis and Phyllis are in there Andrea so, Martin Andrea Martin so it's starting from that scene right to the end I was like this is fantastic. I was blown away by the ending of that movie. And so I went back and started researching it, found out it was Black Christmas, watched the rest of it, and it was like, ah. And it was immediately one of my favorite films. Yeah. When you see his crazy eyes looking yeah. out through the crack yeah. of that door, oh, it's very scary. 
a couple actors I looked up this time because I'm like, wait a minute, you're extremely familiar. I didn't realize it was John Saxon from Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy's dad. He's the lieutenant. He's in everything. He was he in so in much in the 70s. He was in a movie called Blood Beach. I mean, just Cannibal uh, Apocalypse, I think he was in later on, 1980. He was like your go-to heavy for a horror film. Yeah. In the 70s and into the 80s. Um, and he was in the first Nightmare and the third and the fourth, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, Saxon's great. Uh, he's meant to play that role. That is, like, his his penultimate role in Black Christmas. That is the role he plays. <laughs> he's so great. And he's playing it so seriously, which I really like. Yeah, yeah. All the commitment in the world. Um, and then I thought I recognized one of the other boyfriends, the character Chris. I think he's dating Claire, one of the first girls to die. Yeah, he is. That's Claire's boyfriend. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, my God. So it's Art Hindle, who's... Also in The Brood, which I almost included in my, like, honorary mention Christmas movies. But The Brood is not a Christmas movie. It is wintry and murdery, but not really Christmas. No, he's great. Yeah, two of my favorite 70s, actually two of my favorite horror films in general. Because The Brood actually may be my favorite Cronenberg horror film. (gasps) I think it is the most frightening of any of the Cronenberg horror films. I love The Brood, but to say it's your favorite Cronenberg horror movie... Mm-hmm. Interesting. Probably. Um, that that and Rabid. Yeah. Rabid's one of my favorites. Rabid and Videodrome. Yeah. But yeah, another thing that really makes me laugh. So the time before this last time that I watched it, I was with some friends and I was not sober. And I thought Mrs. Mack was extra funny. Like the first time I watched it, I'm like, ah, these jokes are not funny. But Mrs. Mack gets funnier the more you watch Black Christmas to the point where like, now whenever I see her in that little hat that's like trimmed in fur it looks like it's trimmed in her own hair and when she pulls it off I kind of gasp a little bit I'm just impressed that as much as she drank she can remember all the places where she put bottles oh yeah she was impressive. a high functioning alcoholic yeah no, I was I was really impressed by her uh, her creativity I wanted Mrs. Mack to live too I would have loved if she got at least like a swing in like a drunken slug in at Billy oh uh, but... no no Billy had the element surprise every time he did. I also feel like not only is this one of the first slashers, any movie out, any movie that deals with um, uh, prank calling, mm-hmm. probably influenced by this movie. You really didn't. You see don't a think whole other lot people would have? I. You might have. Sure. That's true. No, this didn't I mean, make it like a classic thing. I mean, think like don't uh, a stranger calls all that. A stranger stuff. calls. He's not alone. Yeah, I mean, it's like over and over and over. You've seen that that trope. Um, not that it wouldn't have been used, but you just didn't see it really before this film a whole lot. All right. Do you have anything else you want to add about Black Christmas? Oh, golly, it's hard to say. It came out the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so what a great year for classic horror movies in 1974. Oh, my God. Yeah. One perfect for summer, one perfect for winter. I know, I know. So, 74, a seminal year of classic horror. No, I mean, I, I think there's not a whole lot more that can be said without you know telling the entire plot of the film. Aside from if you have not seen Black Christmas. Well, we've ruined it for you. We've absolutely ruined it for you. <laughs> and that's still no reason not to go see it immediately. Oh, agreed. So, Black Christmas in, is great. In fact, um, a shop or Scream Factory put out a beautiful Blu-ray edition that I do not own, but I have researched extensively and looks fantastic. Yeah, Black so. Christmas is awesome. And mm-hmm. Bob Clark's other horror movies I really love. I really like Death Dream and... 
Death Dream. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Death Dream was great. Children shouldn't play with dead things was made on a shoestring budget, and um, it's a lot of fun. I remember I saw that when I was a kid, and uh, that was a, an early influence on me for for horror films as well. Yep, no, those are great. Mm-hmm. Interesting that he was able to kind of go back so fluidly. To, I mean, he did Porky's, he did A Christmas Story, he did Baby Geniuses. Baby which Geniuses. I probably shouldn't really even say we don't really need to like saddle him with that, you know, or remind people of that. But it's just interesting that he did. I mean. It goes from, you know, extreme horror to comedy. He could go into all sorts of genres. Mm-hmm. Bob Clark. Yeah, I guess that's all. I don't have anything to add about Black Christmas, but I love no. it. Go see it immediately. Watch it again. Yeah, this is like... Before. Watch it again. This is like my fifth time seeing Black Christmas, and I still think it's amazing. Yeah. Okay, do you want to talk about our honorable mentions? Well, yeah, I think uh, one that we were... Uh, I think that we'd both seen, which is kind of a fun one, that's, uh, that was new for me, but of course I, I you know, on your recommendation, I went. It's 1972. It's a made-for-TV proto slasher, um, kind of like a cheesy whodunit as well. Is it, yep. But it's um, written by Joseph Stefano, who also wrote Psycho and Psycho Four and some Outer Limits. It stars Sally Field, a boozy and moody Jessica Walter, and Eleanor Parker, aka Baroness from The Sound of Music. Which I learned last night, um, watching it again at Hilo. There was a screening at a bar in Athens called Hilo, hosted by drag queen Mingva's Dynasty. And I was very impressed with her commentary. I love Home for the Holidays, but I think I loved it even more with, with this commentary. <laughs> Jessica Walter is so hot. She goes for it, too. She's, crazy Frederica. She's screaming at a cage in a painting in one scene. Oh, she's she's out there. She's in the outer limits. Speaking <laughs> of outer limits, let's just say that. No, she's great. Sally Fields, America's sweetheart. Oh, she looks so precious. She does. She spends half the movie running because she's just gotta try to get away. Um, everyone's after her. I also love I don't I don't quite remember where this movie's set, even though I just watched it again last night. But wherever it is, it's a place that's not snowing during Christmas. It's an endless flooding thunderstorm. <laughs> yes. And actually, it wasn't actually raining. They had to use hoses. Nice. Well, that makes sense, because that is a driving rain. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the premise of Home for the Holidays is these four sisters... I think four, are called back home because the father believes that his second wife is poisoning him to death. And he wants them to murder his second wife. I think it's pretty clear, even if you're like me and you don't usually predict these things, that this wife is not trying to murder him. And he's a bitter old man and something fishy's going on. But when it's revealed who the killer is, which I don't want to spoil because I think a lot of people have not seen this movie, it's really fun. This killer... After it's been revealed to the audience, it's a lot of smiling. It's a lot of, like, coy looks. I think it's pretty great. And then there's the final scene where the killer just, like, stares (laughs) and starts screaming and just, like, loses it. And the cops come and go. That classic trope, you know, at the end. It's so good. You've got two Oscar winners in Sally Fields and Walter Brennan as the Mm. father. And two Oscar nominees... And Julie Harris, the second wife, and Eleanor Parker, um, yeah, the oldest Baroness. sister, Baroness. <laughs> I totally recommend this movie. I 
I well, I first love made-for-TV movies, and I love the '70s. But it really is pretty ahead of its time. There's a pitchfork-wielding murderer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun. No, it is. It's a fun little movie. Um, back when they were making kind of edgy made-for-TV stuff, um, this was part of a, a, a series. I think at the time there was ABC or NBC was doing where they do these kind of. Um, mystery suspense films made for TV films yeah I didn't know if this was an ABC movie of the week or not but it is Aaron Spelling produced so yeah yeah you know if it's Aaron Spelling yeah there will be some a good ensemble cast Mm. All right, Carrie what's a I know you've seen like a bunch of stuff I haven't seen well yeah I mean but as far as uh, Christmas stuff you know there's not a lot of great Christmas horror that's just part of it there's, there's a number of Christmas films, but as far as like true classics, not that many. So, I mean, when I was looking at, you know, what I would consider my favorite uh, Christmas horror films, I mean, Silent Night, Deadly Night's got to be on there. Silent Night, Deadly Night. I actually have a hard time watching it because the first time I watched it, which was also as an adult in Seattle, so like right. less than 10 years ago, I thought it was super fun and I'm just like this kid goes crazy now he's wearing a Santa suit and killing people but if you rewatch it there are things that I glossed over in my mind like where he's originally scarred as a child because murder Santa is like raping and killing his parents oh yeah and I'm just like oh I didn't remember the non-fun parts in quite this much detail oh yeah no it was uh this is one of the most notorious Christmas horror films of all time when it came out, you know, families were picketing the theaters, uh, box office sales, you know, plummeted because, you know, all of a sudden no one wanted to go see it. And sometimes controversy helps. In this case, it didn't necessarily. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Have um, you seen the sequels? I have not. Either have I. Only in this one. Uh, Gene Siskel, to protest the film, you know, Siskel and Ebert, the old uh, reviewers, read out loud the names of the companies that own distributor TriStar Pictures on his and Robert Ebert, Ebert's television show, then said, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> so the old school Vanguard, not really a fan of uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. They were, they were pretty uh, upset about it. It's an upsetting film. But um, Siskel and Ebert used to be really outspoken against plenty of horror movies that you and I love. Oh, sure. No, I Definitely just think it's great. Ebert came around. I, I just think it's horror. great that he said that he actually just read off the names of the people involved. <laughs> I think that's absolutely hilarious. No, it's fun. You know, basically you have, you know, a kid who as a child is uh, traumatized by this um, vision of, of Santa, this evil Santa rapey and murdery Santa. I think we would all be traumatized. We all would, absolutely. So that. he goes to an orphanage, spend most of his life there. Um, it's another movie with nuns. He's abused, who abuse him. Yes. So you've got that, so that's terrible. So this kid is just, you know, he's gotten a really pretty bad lot in life. Then he gets a job as a department store Santa. And that's when things start going really bad, because then it's like he starts to have flashbacks, and he can't take any more, yeah. then he has to start killing it seems like things are looking up for him for a little bit, but it's called yeah. Silent Night, Deadly Night, so you know it can only go homicidal. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's only going to be bad. So basically that's it. You know, then the rest of it is them trying to uh, to stop this guy from causing more trouble. And uh, Trouble. And it's, I, I don't know, I think it's as far as, if you want a, a startlingly um, gruesome Christmas film, this is the one to watch. I mean, 
Oh. It's great. I'd this recommend is, Silent Night, Deadly Night. This is the one. It's good. It's not one that I would watch all the time because I, after this I'd probably have to watch something nice and happy. You know, especially if it's Christmas film. I've seen it twice, and I still think there are parts of it that make me laugh. But, I mean, ooh. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to watch it it's too just many more me. times. It's me. But, yeah, sometimes you need that over Christmas. Uh, it will make anything else happen in your life look just peachy keen after you see what this, uh, whatever one this movie goes through. Mm-hmm. Well, another one I had was Rabid, which we mentioned briefly earlier. Mm-hmm. David Cronenberg, definitely one of my favorites. Basically, Marilyn Chambers plays this woman named Rose. She and her boyfriend get in a horrible motorcycle accident, and they do this skin graft experiment that that puts this extremely terrifying phallus in her armpit that feeds on people. Yep. Marilyn Chambers is like a golden age porn star. She's still beautiful and awesome at this point. She's, I think she's excellent as Rose. I'm sorry she didn't get to do more. Um, more non-porn movies. Well, this was her bid to go straight, you know, as they say, to go mainstream. And even though the film is really, I think was pretty well received, I think all of Cronenberg's stuff is well received. They're not always big box office hits, and I don't think this one was either. It's great. It's, you know, it's Cronenberg's STD movie. It is a Cronenberg STD movie. And it's really well done. It's scary. It's very scary. It's gruesome. Mm-hmm. Seriously gruesome. Mm-hmm. It's you know it it'll it still is creepy to me today. It still it's put the hair up on my arm. It's a body horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's a zombie movie. It's borderline apocalyptic movie. I would say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's basically Cronenberg. I think at that at this point was trying to make a body snatchers for the modern age, like a a, a non PG body snatchers. Like here's what really the way it would really happen. Great description. <laughs> couple things in that movie that always get me that aren't really that related. One, you're probably wondering, why is this included on a Christmas list? Well, it takes place during winter. It's in Canada, so it's like permanently Christmas there. But there actually is a mall Santa shootout scene that is one of the most... Okay, Carrie's nodding sadly, but I think it's one of the most joyful Christmas visions I've ever seen. (laughs) I love it. It's like this action-packed... Santa epidemic shootout scene. It's so good. (laughs) And then there's this other scene where she's like, she doesn't totally realize that she's spreading this epidemic. She kind of realizes, but she's sort of in denial. And she goes to an adult theater to feed on someone, and she's feeding on this, like, you know, just this creep in a porn theater. But the part that gets me is she is there eating popcorn in this theater. Like, does anything... seem less appetizing like if there's any place i do not have an appetite to like purchase concessions and eat them it is an important theater yeah that's fair so anyway that should have been that guy's first tip off (laughs) (laughs) she's not interested in the popcorn something weird's going on here (laughs) (laughs) oh marilyn chambers highly recommend if you have not seen rabbit though rabbit and the brood would make a really good double feature it would they're both cold and snowy Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm Cronenberg Horrors. Two of Cronenberg's best. His best two 70s films. For sure. Mm. All right. Well, there we have have some Christmas stuff for you. So if you haven't seen any of these Christmas films, I highly recommend you watch them. If you have seen them, you should watch them again. Yeah. For the record, I really like stuff like Krampus and stuff too. But mm-hmm. Krampus is great. Carrie and I have been disappointed in other evil Santa Krampus-y style things, which I don't want to 
drag them through, but it's hard to make a good one. It is. It really is hard. And I think um, I, I think Doherty did a pretty darn good job. I think Krampus is one of those movies for me that there are parts that are better than than the, the sum. Yeah. I really loved Krampus when I first saw it, and mm-hmm. the more I think about it, the more I appreciate other parts I didn't like as much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is, but it's just it's it's not going to go down as a as a classic, as an all time Christmas classic for me. The ending is perfect. The ending is perfect. Yep. I love that that happened. I was about to be so angry, and then the ending happened, and I'm just like, yes. They did a really good job with that. I, I was glad for that too. So yeah, but I mean, regardless, I think it's I think it's a fun one, and I hope people continue to try to make some more. Like again, better watch out. I watched it. It's a fun movie. I don't think it's a Christmas classic. I've got to see it. But I want to. I want to see some more. I want to see some more directors trying to make a true Christmas classic. Oh yeah, so. I will watch all the Christmas horror movies that come mm-hmm. recommended to me. Um, is that it for this episode? I think that's it for this episode. Yeah. All right. Well. Sorry, I was a little stuffy tonight, everybody. But you know, we got through it all right. We, um, we did. We're a little rusty. It's our first one back from a while. Well, you know what I'm excited about, Steph, is that we have our Oscars episode, our horror Oscars coming up in January. Yeah, early horror Oscars. No, that's and, that's pretty exciting. And then we can talk about 2018 movies we're excited about in the episode after that. Mm-hmm. There are so many horror movies coming out. Some we're not excited about. Some we're super excited about. And we'll have fun too. We're gonna we're gonna um, look back at our episode from last year where we talked about things we were excited about, and we're gonna be able to uh, kind of pull out some sound bites to remind ourselves of what we were thinking at that time and what actually happened from now from Good then until now. Again, thanks everyone for watching. Um, if you have any questions or anything about the episode you want us to know, you can always feel free to contact us on Facebook or Twitter. And, or Instagram. Or Instagram. And uh, in the meantime, we hope you have a wonderful holiday. Yeah, happy holidays. Bye. Bye.